Welcome to the Akai Good Podcast. I'm Owen Henderson, and our guest today is the eclectic and highly entrepreneurial farmer, Richard Perkins. Richard, you're the founder of Ridgedale Permaculture and the author of Regenerative Agriculture, the most comprehensive book to come out on the subject today. You host a very well-followed YouTube and sharing insights and innovations from the farm, and you recently launched an online monthly long-form interview series showcasing young, uh, young successful farmers in your region and around the world, and in many cases, your own students sharing their own insights and lessons on a way to a more profitable regenerative farming business. It's a real pleasure to welcome you back to the show, Richard. Welcome to EcoIQ. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's good to be back with you. Yeah, so, um, so Richard, the chickens are out, the sheep, the cows, market gardens pumping out food. It looks like you're all, you know, you're full steam ahead um, despite the you know, global situation with the COVID and everything. How, what, what's your perspective on, on what's going on right now in terms of the world of farming and where you're standing? Well, it seems to be going really well for everyone that I'm speaking to. And my reflection so far is our lives haven't changed at all, really. We live in our little bubble on the farm. But I've been recording interviews now with all the best young regenerative farmers in Europe for the Farm Like a Hero Tour. And what I'm seeing is that everyone is seeing sales double or triple in this time. And also with the confidence that that will continue and last after the pandemic is over. I think looking for, further forward ahead, I think it's going to be hard for Swedes to move around uh, in the coming months because I, I've seen that many countries are rejecting people from Europe or the UK, uh, sorry, rejecting people from Sweden or the UK because of their quite relaxed takes on the actual, uh, on how they dealt with COVID on the ground. So I'm set back to stay at the farm now for the whole season and not continue the tour on the ground and do it remotely, which is, I've been finding it fascinating to have really long form conversation. Turns out to produce a lot more interesting insights than just filming a farm. Obviously, if you're filming on the ground, pictures say a million words, and it's of course very fruitful and helpful to see people's farms on the ground. But there's something really valuable about just talking and getting into what's actually going on for people and going deeper into those things that we wouldn't if we were filming farms. So I was disappointed at the start of the year, but it's actually turned out to be a blessing in disguise because it's a huge amount of work to record and edit and upload stuff that I would have had to do on the road in the back of a vehicle all summer. <laughs> so it's, it's would have been a little bit hard to carry out, I think. Yeah, yeah. Also, it seems to put launch you much more into the digital world in a much bigger way. Because I mean, it's a pretty big, uh, it's a it's a much bigger digital footprint in terms of you know rather than what you were going to do before. Just with the launch of um, Farm Like a Hero, a lot more of your focus has become online. And also, I know you're scaling down at the same time you seem to be scaling down like the interns and focus more on like uh, long term team members. That's something you said last time. And uh, it seems like some areas are consolidating and other areas opening up in a big way. How, how do you feel about the shift, you know, like the team focused uh, shift physically and the digital focus student-wise? How, how do you feel that, like, that shift? Well, I think that's a complex question I'm still figuring out. Like, my intention this year was to take a year with distance from the farm because I've always been working very long hours, running two full-time jobs, you could say, like managing people and educating people and running the farm here. And so the work capacity I've had is always 
I've always been able to manage that. But as I get a bit older, I see that my energy is not as high as it used to be. So I really wanted to take a, a year off to get perspective and also to take some time to document what some of our students are up to. And so the, the Farm Like a Hero Tour is really about shining light on the unsung heroes, the people that don't have a voice on social media, perhaps, who are doing incredible work. And it came a bit about, in response to seeing that a lot of Europeans are looking over to the States and looking for examples over there. And we actually have, I think, better examples over here. And they're much more nuanced to the cultural and climatic conditions that we have here. So I really felt like using the platform I've built up to shine a light on those people and give them a platform. Because when I did a few YouTube episodes on some of our past interns, many of which have have connected up since leaving here, some of them went off and started great businesses together. And I noticed they all started communicating and it's brought them a lot of attention, which has been great for their businesses, but it's also brought them a network where they are starting to communicate across years. So I'm well aware of like a lot of strong friendships developing between the people that have been here over multiple years. And I feel like that's partly because they've all been educated in a certain way. Mm. So they're all aware of what each other might be thinking like on some base level that allows them to probably communicate in a different way. And so I really felt like that's something I wanted to leverage in Europe to try and get people talking and networking more and sharing ideas. Because I see like this field and something my work's always revolved around is sharing data. And that's what my books have been about and a large part of what my online things have been about. And I find that People are often quite guarded or shy to talk about that stuff, but I usually have a habit or knack of drawing some of that information out of people. And I feel like that's really beneficial to the whole. It's like, hey, I can help promote you and shine a light on you, but come and, and step up and contribute to the whole. Like, tell us about your business. Tell about what's going well, what's not going well, and and, and open up and then everyone will benefit from that. And just the, I've done about 20 episodes of 75 that will be on the hero experience. And it's been amazing. People just smashing it, you know, people on all levels of the spectrum from starting up with 10,000 euros on rented land and turning over a hundred thousand euros in their second year, all the way to investing half a million in a much bigger scaled, highly technologically advanced farm, like and every kind of enterprise you can imagine. But mushroom growers and tool makers and pastured poultry people, market gunners, everything, the whole gamut. And some conventional farmers in there who are transitioning over to regenerative ways on much bigger scale. So I feel like it's a really exciting project and I'm really excited to take a bit of time out. I'm still on the farm and I'll be here all year. So I'm working little bits on the farm, but I'm taking a lot of office time to continue this tour. And for me, that's very helpful. It gives me a lot of time to think in a way that I wouldn't if I'm constantly consumed by managing the farm. So you're right, we've, we're not running internships. And I, I feel like I'm not sure if I will ever run them again. It's extremely energy intensive. And it's for the benefit of a very small group. I'm 
feeling a little bit of tension around that in the sense that I think it's the most powerful educational experience someone could get coming into this field. There's nothing like it anywhere on the planet that I've seen. And I understand why people don't offer such trainings because it's so intensive. I mean, it's in the past, it's been me in the forefront from six in the morning till at least six at night and often till 10 at night. And it's for some years I could do that because it was just pouring out of me. But as I get a bit older and with kids to manage, etc., it's it's not so easy to do that. So I also wanted to leverage my online work because I run a business that's grown to be much bigger than our farm, purely alone in my spare time in the evenings. And that's not so realistic, you know, and having our book and the success of that and putting on a lot of content on YouTube, as well as the bigger projects like this tour now, it's a, that's a full-time job. And so I'm in an interesting place where I'm, this year particularly, I'm sitting at a computer full-time, which is not what I set out to do. I set out to drive around Europe and really soak in the ripples of, you know, the impact that we've had. And it's just been amazing to see how many Ridgedale Eggmobiles there are and how many people are market gardening in the, in the way that we do with no dig and wood chip pathways, it's spread to hundreds of young farmers and it's, and people are doing really great businesses. So I, I didn't really want to be set behind a computer, but it's been interesting working with my collaborator, which has been a big shift this year. I think we talked about last time I was on, but we've built a whole suite of new websites and we're totally overhauling all of our online trainings as well as introducing new trainings. So the next online training we'll be bringing up is going to be called Start the Right Farm. And it's it's a sort of targeted training for someone that wants to come into this field who isn't totally sure what enterprise they want to pursue as a way of really clarifying their context clarifying their marketplace and clarifying which enterprises fit the bill to then create full working economic plans so that they can intelligently choose what to pursue. So that's hopefully going to be out in a couple of months. And I think that will really empower the whole another generation that hasn't actually got started yet. Mm-hmm. And then in the winter, we're going to be running our full online training. And we're only running that in the winter times as a live event when I'm free and have time not working on the farm etc mm-hmm. so there's a massive amount that's gone on in the background and then the farm like a hero experience is really a shift to to a, like it's a low-cost membership site but it's a way of bringing people into more concise dialogue there's weekly q and a's on there with me so rather than do that on youtube which has more been a repository for me documenting what we're doing I don't have time to get in there and answer questions and all those kind of things because I've been working alone in my spare time around working full-time on the farm. So I'm trying to create that resource in a much more targeted way and having a collaborator is really facilitating me to do that. And I don't think I can put my work full-time onto that kind of stuff long-term because I've got a farm to run too. But it's been a really nice break in the intensity that we put in in the last seven years just to lift my head out the water and really take a back seat a little bit and just be able to like take a bit of perspective on where things are going because really I wanted to put the time into my other business that it deserves which is it's grown to quite a significant business now and 
it needs a little bit of updating and professionalizing and et cetera, and, and dealing with our customers because essentially I've been backed into a corner for years where I've just, there's no way I can keep up with 150 emails a day and run a farm and put out content, et cetera. And it's just become too much and too big. So I've always been wanting to have a collaborator and that's come about quite naturally in the only way it probably could have. But I've started now in the last couple of months seeing that, yeah, I need an actual couple more assistants to help me run that business effectively. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually in a position where I can do that now. So that's quite exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fantastic. There's a lot, there's a lot, there's so much to unpack over there. It's really, like I said before we start the interview, I'm really, really excited about this new uh, venture for like for Ridgedown for yourself. It seems like very eclectic. Um, you mentioned a few things over here. First of all, the locality is very interesting for me because I mean, also I noticed I've just started reading your book now. I'm, you know, pursuing to review it, doing a review on it. And I've noticed like the first thing I see straight away is locality is a very big thing um, for, for everything you do. You're very um, focused on, on what is your, your locality. And I, I just, just uh, briefly, do you think that has like a, I noticed for me, it has like quite an efficacy in a strange kind of way because I'm totally different climate, but just that, uh, that, that you like focus in and say like, okay, this is relevant for ours down to the, like, the tiniest details down to our, um, to our context. It kind of makes me want to look at my context like that. Is that, what, what was your kind of like um, your intention when you're really focusing also in the new venture? I mean, it's all local farmers and even more local. It's a lot of the time your students, which is even more, you know, even more the local social region as well. How, how important, uh, what's the importance of that, um, that keeping it local like that? Well, I, I guess more regional is how I relate to it. It's like being here in a cold temperate climate, obviously a lot of what we do is very relevant to cool temperate climates too so i'd say like for most of europe and across america um canada places like that like nearly everything we're doing is pretty much directly translatable obviously species will be slightly different country to country marketplaces will be different cultural traditions but the approach to land patterning and land-based design is very much similar The, the the pattern language behind what we're doing in terms of planning effective business and managing holistically and making efficient workflows and optimizing systems, that's across the board. I mean, that's relatable to anyone. But I'm just focusing less and less nowadays on Mediterranean climates or tropics, places that have a special interest to me. And I've worked in fairly extensively, but I just feel like it's better that someone else is doing that and and really double down my efforts on the things that are much more directly related because I can be of service in a much more useful way to people who are say taking an eggmobile somewhere in Germany you know I can fully zone in with them where they're at and be of use in the questions they have whereas someone trying to raise jungle fowl in Indonesia, it's like someone else needs to deal with that. You know, I could, but I don't want to dilute the offerings that I have. I'd rather consolidate a bit and just keep things a little bit simpler, I think. Mm-hmm. But I think like unless someone can <clears throat> translate those patterns and approaches to their own climate zone, if they're in a different climate zone then I think it's best they seek out local expertise and there's people all over the world who can help guide people etc. So. 
Mm-hmm. I think it's really powerful. It makes it. It makes also your kind of like approach quite uh, unique. Not because it's local, but because that's it's your it's your thing. You're not trying to like you know please uh, or not trying to like cater exactly specifically to everyone. I think it's very powerful. Also with the with the fun like a hero. I mean, you really it sounds like you've been pushed into the information age like pretty <laughs> pretty fast. You're already there. I know because you've got a lot of YouTube videos and everything. But um. Uh, how, how does it, uh, I'm sure there's lots of tweaks and bugs, like you said, to fix out, but the platform is up, it's online. I'm really curious how you felt when the first, you know, the first episodes went up, people started signing in and you just like, you know, you saw the whole thing up and, and going. What, what was the feeling when you got all that up? And, you know, it's, it's like now it's, it's online, it's happening. What was that? I mean, it's been happening for a while or? Yeah, it's, well, it came up a couple of weeks ago now and it's it was a lot of work to get it all sorted and my collaborator's really the one who's been building all that in the background and a lot of it was new learning edges and there was certainly ups and downs. It's not easy to do simple things like make online transactions. I mean, you have different VAT rules in every European country you have all these rules and regulations about privacy policies and all this stuff that, you know, you would think in today's day and age is quite simple to set up a website, sell an ebook, and off you go. But it's it takes a lot of time to set those things up. And I feel like it's been, I've been selling books direct from the farm, both hard copy books and PDFs for quite some years now. But to get a platform together to do that efficiently is is quite a lot of work. And it's actually taken us several years to refine that into an easeful process because it's also got a link to your management with your um, accounting software and all these kind of things. So, And because we're in Sweden, we're not able to utilize some of the key programs that people might use in America or the UK or places that have a higher amount of users where there's more software available. Mm-hmm. And I found that process really interesting because it's it's a lot of cost and a lot of work. Just putting the Farm Like a Hero experience on has been quite a significant investment. And originally, when I first thought of the tour, I was just going to stick up videos on YouTube and off we go. But it's it would have been a, a highly expensive trip. You know, it's probably 15,000 euros of fuel alone. And I started to to feel like, well, no, I value my time and my time is worth increasingly higher amounts as, as I go along and gain expertise. And of course, this is a, a service and it, it needs to fund itself at least. And so it's, it's definitely working to the extent that it's also generating a little income for the work that's put in, but it's taken a lot more work to produce than anticipated so far even without the actual physical tour, but just doing, you know, 90-minute long-form conversations and editing them is, you know, it takes half a day to get an episode together. And that's just a small part of putting it all out. But I found that whole process really interesting, like the entrepreneurial side of, you know, launching new things is something I enjoy and I enjoy creative challenges. I don't particularly love being stuck on a computer, but to see that I can connect people and build a network in a a much more expansive way than I could do working on the farm here, where I know people make incredibly strong friendships and often for life, people have got married that met here, et cetera, but it's a very small number of people. And it's, it's kind of been a question in my mind as we, well, as I enter the digital era more profoundly, 
It's like, why put this energy on 10 people when I could put this energy on a thousand or 10,000? It just, it's much more efficient use of the tools that we have in front of us. And mm -hmm. so I'm enjoying exploring that. And I'm not totally clear where I'm going to go with it, but I know that I want to have a lot of educational resources online because it's just so much more useful for people. But I do enjoy doing things at the farm. And I think there's always a place for that, but it needs to be very targeted for people who already have a, a certain level of knowledge and experience, I think, to really refine their skills. So I'd like to, I think I'd like to continue some form of on-farm trainings, but in a more refined way in the future. Like people have already demonstrated totally clear commitment to the pathway for their life and not people who are trying to figure it out whether they want to do it. I feel like my my skills and expertise are, are honed to the point where I need to be working with people who are already rolling, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> it's amazing. So also it seems like it's a, <clears throat> excuse me, so it seems like it's really like a, a level up a little bit for for um in terms of entrepreneurship and business. How how do you how do you feel like about the um looking forward about like keeping that level of like mentorship that feeling of of, of being a mentor? Do you feel that that carries through in, in in the giving of the information when you're doing it? I mean, it, what what's your thoughts on that of um keeping that kind of like feeling like of, of mentoring people when it when it increases to a thousand or, or ten thousand people? Well, I think. I'm able to do that in one way through putting myself in those shoes, as it were. So certainly in the interviews I'm rolling this summer, I'm trying to make sure I clarify and ask the sort of questions that I would want to know the answers to if I was a few steps before. Mm -hmm. Also, at the same time, catering to people who are already doing those things who might find insights from the ways others are doing it can tweak their business so there's some level of that and and really the the mentorship bit plays out in the hero experience through the Q&A so we're doing a weekly Q&A and it's becoming a lot of questions every week now but it's I'm willing to sort of sit down and, and touch them all one by one and so that's something that's a lot more useful than things that I've been able to do on YouTube, for example, where you're just having random questions about everything. Like here, people are submitting questions and we can structure them into market gardening, pasture poultry, business and enterprise, or, you know, keep it a bit more focused and organized, which I think is more helpful for people in general. But I think the longer term mentorship that I've been able to offer people here through internships uh, in some ways, that's irreplaceable because it's about the nuanced details of how you deal with things on the ground and expectations and a demonstration of how to do these things, both psychologically as well as physically and technically on the ground. Yeah. You know, the attitude and the communication, they become really important things you can't transmit digitally. Yeah. But I think in our longer term online trainings, as we run them as live events now, that's where I will be able to tap back into people's specific projects and their plans for their land and their business, etc., and and offer mentorship through there because that's a highly specialised and longer term job and comes with a lot of responsibility. So there's already a, 
you know, a much higher cost price point to run something like that because it requires me to fully engage in like a consultancy essentially. So that's the way I kind of treat those things is that like we first ran our online course in that way and following them through the development of the context, land plan, business plan. And to do that requires, you know, full commitment, but it's more successful in my mind than running a consultancy on a farm, which is something I don't really do much anymore because you're not invested. If you're just taking me as an expert to come to you and tell you what to do, that's the wrong question. It's like, no, I'll support you and prod you and you work out what you're doing and I'll give you feedback and insight where I see fit and where I see your skills and resource base lie. But it's most important that people come up with those things clearly for themselves in their particular time, place and circumstance. It's not my role. And I see that over and over again. People want spoon feeding sometimes, but they're not the people I want to help. I want to help someone who's already committed and motivated and just needs a little bit of directing and feedback and that's the people I think I can help best Mm. I really just I just thinking about something I I noticed with the with the whole approach of the um becoming more online and more digital and 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 reaching more people um even that you know with a slight side effect of you know you said you can't there's some areas you can't replace that are physical the fact of reaching so many people, I could imagine that kind of creates something actually that you wouldn't get when you didn't touch so many people, and that's the idea of community. That you, that it's suddenly you've got like a, you know, I didn't know about these people, the students of yours before, really at that level, seeing their face and, and knowing about their farm and hearing what went wrong and what went right. I mm-hmm. mean, sort of that community, I'm sure, will like bolster also the work that you're doing, also that becomes kind of like people can become each other's mentors in in, in a small kind of way there. Hopefully. I would like to see that. And there's certainly, like, I'm very aware of all the people coming through here in the past years. I'm I'm watching how people think and work and communicate. And so I have a very good pattern language of that that I feel is important because I often get asked for recommendations. And I'm often quite skillful at connecting certain people up. Like I know when certain people are going to jive, work together well, and I've created a couple of those kind of meetings that led to businesses. And so I'm, it was kind of what I was, I think we were talking last time about this idea of a network with one degree of separation, where it's like I know who to vouch for and who I can vouch for. And I know very clearly when I'm not so sure about someone's capacity or integrity or whatever. But I feel like that's the strength of a network or a community is when everyone is vouched by someone else, but with no more than one degree of separation. Mm. Because if you just open that out to the world, there's no way to regulate that. So I'm interested in bringing some of my or some of the core people who I see excel in their chosen enterprises I would like some of them to be involved in the hero experience I guess it's quite challenging at this time when it's full production season for most people and most people don't have time to engage in online forums etc but Mm -hmm. I think what I would like to do in in the longer term future is put a pedestal in front of some of those people and support them through our platform to run 
specific detailed online trainings that kind of thing mm. and really you know give them the opportunity to reach a much wider audience than they perhaps would on their own and share their specific technical or country specific data you know that could be a really useful thing of how to do eggmobiles and poultry slaughter facilities in Germany. Here's all the documents. Here's how the regulations are different. Here, you know, that sort of thing could be really nice and also support them in giving back by earning them some income and thinking of, yeah, that's, a, that's what I would hope to do through these platforms in the next year, like after the end of this year or something like that. Mm. Yeah, it looks like it looks like it's not only going to be Germany. I mean, when I heard the question answered, that you've got people from Brazil, Alaska, <laughs> all all over all over the place. <laughs> yeah, I think right now in the Hero Experience, there's at least thirty five countries, and it's approaching a thousand members at this point. So it's it's a, quite a big community, but it's growing at the same pace that it was during the launch of it. So I expect there'll be quite a big network in there by the end of the year. And all of that content is obviously there that people can access it even if they're joining later. But specifically, I wanted it to be centered around the European sort of network. But I think it's of a lot of benefit to anyone coming into this space, really, to see how other people approach relationships or business or which bits they offload to another company or which bits they double down on and all those kind of little details of how people run their enterprises is directly transferable I think and mm -hmm. it's so great I think the power of the hero experience is that these are just lovely normal people like you or him or her they're not people that you know we've all heard of the Joel Salatins, the Jean-Martin Fortiers, and they're all doing great work too, but it becomes almost surreal when someone is, you know, that big and well-known. It's like, A, they're unobtainable, and B, they're often living in a totally different world to the average person coming into farming, and, and that makes them unrelatable in the end. It's like, you know, it's it's so powerful to hear the stories of everyday people and and people that have really started with nothing or have started by inheriting the land or started by renting or have saved up in this profession to make the money to do this whilst getting this certain skill. And it's, you know, it just goes to show that really if you've got the commitment and passion and drive, you can make it work and you can make it work whatever the, the limiting factors in your country because people always love to see things in a blinkered way of like, oh, it's too wet here, oh, it's too dry here, it's too expensive here, or no one buys good food here, whatever it is. But there are people in every country overcoming that and, and doing great. So it's really powerful to just see that in a really grounded way from people who are not sort of internet stars or whatever. Mm -hmm. I, um, <clears throat> something I, I thought about when I was thinking about the, the um, benefits of, of the um, Farm Like a Hero uh, um, platform that you've set up, is I just thought about this, I, I, there's a, you know, a principle in permaculture that says the connection is more important than the things themselves. And it kind of um, it reminded me of what you, you always seem to like push a lot also in your book and also when we talk, this idea of systems thinking. And I, I want to get into that a little bit. But just in terms of the farm like a hero, I, I mean, the approach seems to benefit a lot of different areas kind of at once. The student, because they get reinforced in, in their approach and, you know, also the 
um, the models that are put forward and, and other people, like you just said, they, they look and they, oh, you know, I can do that. So it's also a benefit to the guests, also a benefit to the audience. And then also it's a massive benefit also, I mean, business-wise, it seems like a very uh, smart move because suddenly everyone is coming back to, okay, where did this guy learn? And everything suddenly is very, very relatable and, you know, it's it fits into like what they've already learned with you and then they can get reinforced over there. And it's very, were, were all these kind of connections, is that something that you um, that, that you felt, uh, um, was it something you thought out, all these aspects when, when developing the concept or is it something you just felt instinctually this is a healthy decision that has lots of knock-on effects, you know, and it'll create more abundance and, you know, and it'll flow in that direction? Or was it something you kind of thought out all those different connections and benefits that it's going gonna, it's gonna to have? Yeah, no, I definitely thought a lot about it. I mean, I spent a year thinking about it and planning this route, but obviously it's turned out different without being able to go on the road. But I think the, like I said before, it was to give me a bit of rest and perspective because I noticed that whenever I left the farm for two or three days, I would have creative thoughts in a totally different way than when I'm at the farm, head down, not looking up, I'm just grafting. And I found that really... There was a particular experience. I went to Norway for a few days and went sea fishing, deep sea fishing, and left the country on a boat out at ocean, you know, totally forgot about the farm. And I think it was a powerful experience because I remember it being the first time I didn't think about the farm for like a day and a half or two days mm. because my mind is is working on overdrive here. It's, I'm, I'm thinking about all aspects of all enterprises and all the things that we need planning, how to prioritize them. You know, the project management of running this place whilst running intensive education has been immense. And so I always have thought in this mycelial way and every bit of what I do drives all the other bits. And from an entrepreneurial perspective, that's the way I've always taken it. It's like it started back when I self-published a book and that's a topic I'd love to talk about because it's like most people that write books don't make any income from that publishing companies make money Mm -hmm. and I had all the major publishers in the field want to publish a book the first one as well as the second one but I felt like their contracts are, are really poor and they're not their business model hasn't evolved in decades it would seem like they basically want nearly all the money and they don't do much promotion and they say they're ethical and all this, but I don't know. It doesn't add up to me. I mean, I know authors in this field who have sold hundreds of times more books than me and made less income than I have. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's pretty interesting. And obviously a lot of work goes into that. And in, in my case, I was writing a book, as an edited finished thing, I wasn't just writing a script and supplying some photos. I built the whole book. So it's like really a publisher's not doing anything for me. And their response and argument would be, well, we can get you in front of bookshops, book fairs, and in libraries. And it's like, well, I don't think the people that want to read my book are just happening upon it in somewhere like that. They're actively seeking it out. And so I want to sell my work directly it's like we do all this work on the farm like processing chickens in our slaughtery deliberately to skip the middleman so that we make the money for the work we did and so i wanted that exact same thing with my book it's like why am i giving 
80% of all income to a publishing company who do not a lot for me. They can just sell more books, but they, you know, I think regenerative agriculture has become the most well-paid farming book that's ever been written. Mm. And that says a lot because it hasn't sold anywhere near the copies of some of the other books. And I'm, I'm being a bit open about that because I've tried to encourage other people to do the same. But to sell your own book, you need to obviously market it. And so that's where it ties back into what you were saying. The mycelial threads of everything else I'm doing support that and yeah. make it happen. But I think it's, yeah, it's something I've spoken out about in the past is like for the benefit of the whole. It's like it doesn't benefit anyone to, to work in that old mode of doing business. And that's not how any of our other business works. You know, we're, we're specifically designing lands to regenerate them, cut out middlemen so the farmers make the money from the work they do. And that should apply. Like I'm really interested in a model of business where everyone wins at every stage. And I found certainly with the publishing industry, it doesn't work like that. It's like publishing companies benefit and authors typically don't. And I know most of the well-known authors in this field and I've talked to many of them about it. And I just think it's a really interesting topic from an entrepreneurial standpoint and not talked about openly or enough. And But going back to like building all this digital resources, I feel like, yes, they all support each other. And, and potentially everyone benefits at every step of the way. It's like there's a huge amount of free content. There's free mini courses. There's paid things that are extremely good value, like our book or the hero experience. It's like everyone benefits from this. It's, it's really the way we've set it up. And people can take it as far as they want. Obviously, we run higher-end trainings that are more expensive, but they're much more specialized and long-term and take a lot more of my time. So it's, yeah, it's, it's finding ways to continue our work in a way that works for everyone and can pay someone to take some of the weight off my shoulders so that I can actually concentrate and double down on the things that I specialize in and not sit behind the screen answering emails about how much is this in US dollars when, you know, people can work that out for themselves, I'm sure. So. It's, uh, it's really interesting what you said about the book as well, because I just thought about it that um, when you actually, when you're marketing your own book, I mean, that's really like the, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's really like the, uh, I'd say the highest concentration of your IP. I mean, more than a course, more than anything else, that's where you pour, like you, you know, you and anyone else. Also, we had an interview with um, Peter McCoy and it's the same with his book, self-published. He just poured everything he knows into that book. It's just like a free flow of ideas. And I mean, you, I, you, I don't think you could get more IP than that. And it just seemed like no. very to get, you know, to have a middleman in the middle of, of that, you know, transfer from you to the, to the people. Yeah. And like, I, I kind of, I sometimes feel like you're a bit of a, a an, um, and many people in this field, a bit of an activist in that area, because this idea of having a middle person or, you know, the input industry for farming, there's always like someone with an interest wants to like skim, like usually sometimes a lot. I mean, in the <laughs> more even than the farming. But well, that's the old method of business. And I feel like we just can circumnavigate that totally now. Like it's easy to. And I think that, yes, that's a lot of IP. That book is very good value for money. It's 75 euros. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, but that's a manual, and it's small words and full pages. It's it's if you take the average book in the field, it's probably three times the size. Mm. And I've had a lot of I get the odd quest, uh, the odd sort of comment where someone's like, "That book's expensive," and I just I sort of <laughs> think to I chuckle to myself. It's like, no, that book is really cheap. It's really good value. Show me another book of that value in this field. Mm. And I'm not saying that to blow my own trumpet. I'm saying that because it's packed. It's like that's dense information. It's like you spend that on the restaurant bill. You know, it's like this has got a lot of knowledge crammed into it and a lot of detailed knowledge that you don't find shared in most books. And and so I just feel like books are heavily undervalued. Like someone wouldn't think twice spending 75 euros to come to a day event in Stockholm that we would run, for example. Mm. They wouldn't question the value of that. Mm. But a book lasts forever, and it's, you know, I just feel like books are really undervalued, and I'm making a stand for that because many people reflect back to us, like their textbook for university was $400, (laughs) and, and they never even used it in their life since. And people are starting businesses based on this book you know, with, with confidence and shaping their businesses that were already existing with it. It's, yeah, I stand firm that this is a good price and that mostly after all the costs, it's obviously an expensive book to print because it's colour and it's huge, but the money goes for the cost of it and then to me, not to a company that's just paying people who don't then even do much in the way of promoting that book. Like the same, the publishing companies only have access to the same channels to promote it that I do. So, and they ask you, if you look at any publishing company today in the field, they ask you to promote it. They tell you, you need to promote your book too. It's like, well, then why would I need you at all? And they would have to sell millions of copies to make it more lucrative for me than I can do on my own sitting here on the desk. And that's not going to happen. Most books in this field sell 10 to 40,000. And that doesn't generate anywhere near the cost of the time that someone's put into writing a book. You know, I think JM's book has probably sold more than any other book in this field. It's sold a quarter of a million. But that's made publishers millions of euros. Mm. And I made more income just on the Kickstarter campaign for a book I hadn't even finished. So I'm just putting that out there because I hope people will think about that. I think they will have a lot of a lot of uh, very valuable IP, especially, I mean, even in your community, there will be a lot of uh, potential very good authors over in that, in that, um, in that stable over there. It's, uh, it's also something I, I really see that um, the, this idea of the new entrepreneurial approach today it's just to give maximum value. And I mean, we really see that with your book exemplifies that it's kind of a no, uh, no holds barred, you know, sharing of very, very high value, like you said. What is it about entrepreneurship that is so important for you to, to, um, to, to share, Richard? Because there's many other people in this space, you know, they, they do mention the business side and everything. But with you, it's really like a, it seems like a, a personal mission, this idea to, to make it into a successful business. What is it about entrepreneurship that's so important for you? I think it's partly my creative process, like my stimulation and creative solutions, focus, problem solving, that kind of thing. And it's partly just the underlying mission 
that's been here always is to support more people into farming like this with the very long-term perspective that my kids' future kind of depends on you and your kids. <laughs> that's the long-term approach on it. It's like I don't like what I see when I follow certain things in society through with my logic. And you think business you is know? a way to combat that? So, definitely. But business that's done for the benefit of all, business that's yeah. done with a holistic context mm. where everyone's benefiting from those transactions. And so, yeah, I don't know if I fully formulated my thoughts on it, but I'm not afraid to earn money and I'm not afraid of business. And I think a lot of, I've met a lot of young people coming into this space who are very actively distressed about money. And it's usually yeah. just because they don't have any. Yeah. And you know, I feel like that's perhaps a formative stage. I can relate to it going through that sort of phase in my life, but it's really hard to earn money and it should be really celebrated and it should be used to forward the proliferation of more beneficial things. That's <laughs> the way I see it. But I want business that's good for land, good for people, like good for me and good for the consumer of whatever I'm selling too, just like the food we sell. Like, I want to supply the best food, grown with the best practices, to local people who are going to use that. And likewise, anything I sell from a resource base, like a book or an online thing, I want people to get an incredible amount of information that's tangible and relevant to them. And is not just sucking them into, you know, a quick sale. It's like, no, it should be visually clear that this is of great benefit and value. And if you can create business like that, then everyone's winning. There's obviously some, you know, question marks around some of the platforms we use, Facebook, YouTube, Google, you know, and the longer-term implications of those. But just like I'm willing to raise pasture boilers as a transitional tool to get producing viable amounts of food that make profit and restore my land, to build a customer base to then start thinking ideologically and changing the food system. Likewise, we need to use the tools in front of us to access people, to, to leverage the opportunity we have to reach people that people didn't have in the past. And then we can worry about how to ideally change the platforms that we use. But you've got to have an audience to be able to do that. It's, you know, you've seen some people in the space who've built a big enough audience start to then create their own private platforms away from these companies. But you need to have your foot in the door or skin in the game to be able to do that. So, yeah, I take the same approach to that as I would to producing food and managing a farm. I think, mm -hmm. I think also really there's a lot of, I mean, just for my personal journey, it's much you know, younger than yours, definitely, in terms of just entrepreneurship, not the farm that's uh, much younger. But I, I noticed for me personally, there's a lot of empowering personal transformation and, and development lessons in, in, in becoming an entrepreneur. It's, not a, it's the, quite a hard, hard uh, decision to make because it's not so easy road. But there's so many you know, things about discipline and empowerment and positivity, but real positivity and manifestation. And I really found a lot of powerful lessons personally of, of deciding to not be an employee ever again and, and, and taking that road. I think it's a very powerful and I don't know if that's part of what you um, wanted to instill in other people, but I just think when you get in that mindset, 
especially when you link it with working with eco- ecologies and farming, it just seems like a very powerful combination for me when you can really empower uh, people in that, in that level of money as well. Of, uh, Super of powerful. Super powerful. And that's what I'm really loving about the Farm Like a Hero experience is all these people who, <coughs> excuse me, I think the vast majority of people I've speaking to came into farming with virtually no experience and no experience running business and have had that steep learning curve but have gone through that. And it seems to be typically two or three years of really hard graft to get things up and running, to get things in order with the accounting, the sales, all that. And then people go through another phase where they sort of double down, get rid of bits they didn't need to do, and just really, you know, set into cruising mode. And that's great because it's, you know, it's some people are spending decades building up a farm. But it's like if you can get into a cruising mode in three or four years, then from a farming perspective that's fantastic and I just think that hearing all those people's stories is even more valuable than hearing someone like me blabbing on because you know it's it's just over and over again that same thing is coming up in a multitude of ways from people who have started with absolutely nothing I mean I came into farming having been at ag school having worked in the industry for a long time, having consulted and with a high level of expertise. But everyone I'm speaking to on this tour, some are coming from farming backgrounds, but a lot are coming from just watching videos on YouTube and reading a couple of books and then throwing themselves at it, you know, putting everything they have into it. And for me, that's inspiring. Like, I'm inspired. And I find that more inspiring than, than my own story about it all, in a way. Mm-hmm. And, and and is that is it a big part for you? Um, a big part of what you're doing is to shorten that curve, learning curve. You know, I mean, less than shorter than it was for you. That 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 steep learning curve. Totally, mm-hmm. totally. I mean, I didn't have the steep learning curve of just jumping in to starting the farm. I mean, I worked in the field for a decade before I started the farm, mm-hmm. so I didn't ever have like such a steep learning curve. Two, three years but, is shorter than a decade, that's for sure. Yeah, for sure. Mm. But it, that's exactly why I do what I do. That's what all our training, that's what our book, mm. all of that is about that, is getting people started smart and making that learning curve a little bit more leveled out. And, and really, my reflection back to anyone is like, look, starting a farm is hard, even if you just start a little market garden. You know, starting a mixed farm, much more complex and much more going on. Starting up sales and those kind of communications, branding, that's all stuff you've got to do. Running a business, that's really tough. Like most businesses fail and, you know, it's a whole nother skill set to just to run and manage a business. So to do all that at the same time is pretty overwhelming. Even if you're just talking a 2,000 square meter market garden or five acre poultry enterprise or whatever it is but we're seeing that many of our students are going off and starting two three four enterprises and rolling with it and doing really fantastic work and yeah and I think that the access to information and certainly not just my own information like access to global information has mean has meant that many people have started on the backs of 
the people that have pioneered these different things. And and we're all standing on the backs of that too. You know, like Joel Salatin was a really big influence for us because he actually shared data that was useful. And I've tried to just take that up 10 notches and share all of it so that there's just no vagueness. You know, if you read back some of the old pasture poultry books, it was enough to get started, although you had to do a lot of working out of data yourself. So I did that and then just offloaded all that data so that people can just start instantly with a clear financial indication of how that business will do with exact feed sheets so they don't have to think about it. And, you know, that's really changed the game for a lot of people. There's a lot of people who have just not had to do a lot of the problem solving and and hard back work that goes into, you know, setting up a slaughtery is a great example. You know, that's something that took a lot of paperwork to create, but now I can just give that to someone and if they're in this country, they can just hand the exact papers in with their name on the top <laughs> and bypass two months of work. Mm. You know, that's all in our book. It's like, well, if you're going to do that, it's going to take you two months of work to do on your own. I mean, again, it speaks to the value of of the content that we can share. It's like it's saving people years and money. So, mm. Mm. Sounds, sounds a, a lot. It's a really valuable thing. Sounds a lot like regenerative business, really, because in regenerative farming, when you're dealing with soil, a lot of the time you want to accelerate, you know, those those systems to just get, you know, to a higher level. More complex, a more complex level, much faster. It sounds exactly what what we're really doing with business there. Um, I really wanted totally. to, I really wanted to ask you about. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about system, this systems thinking because I just finished the chapter on patterns now in, in the book, which is a really amazing um, chapter. It really seems to like set up the the background for the whole book. And I'm just in defining the context, and the thing that really stands out for me reading your book is this idea of systems thinking, a way of thinking in holes. I'm not sure how much of that I do myself, you know, naturally because I'm in it for a while, and I'm I'm still thinking about it almost every day about this. And and um and uh, when you said you started to thinking, when you said you mentioned over there and also to us before, when you started thinking like this, your your learning became exponential, and and you know when you said that, I was a bit like a. I immediately got very excited. I mean, because who doesn't want to learn, you know, who doesn't want that, right? You know, ex- exponential learning. And it's, it's if you had a superpower, I'd, I'd kind of I'd propose that maybe that's looks like what it is, you know, exponential learning and very fast. You talked about speed reading. And could you give us a little bit of an insight how you develop this kind of um, power of learning very fast and and, uh, and um, a little about the journey behind that, like where it started, where it began, you know, this, uh, this approach, whole, whole thinking? Well, there's different bits mixed up in that. I mean, I was really lucky at school. I had very good teachers Hmm. and they pushed me. And all of my family, I have four brothers and a sister and we're all academically high achievers. Excuse me. And I was lucky enough to have three teachers at primary school. So that's up to the age of 11 in the UK who really saw my capacity and pushed it like on an individual basis. And I think that a lot of people never had that fortune. And and it wasn't until I was in my late teenage years that I really understood that a lot of people go through schooling without any good teachers. Mm-hmm. And I had a lot of very gifted teachers in a way that they pushed my curiosity. I was always very curious. But I think later on, 
my learning transformed a lot through, well, one other thing I could say is I have a photographic memory, so that helps a lot with the retention of information. Mm. And like I see and think quite visually. So if you show me something, I'll have an image of that forever and I'll never forget that. I'm not very good with my linear memory is terrible. Like I can't remember what I did last Thursday or, you know, two months ago at the weekend, what did we do? I have no idea. I can't remember those kind of linear things, Mm -hmm. but I can remember image-based things very intricately and very uh, long lasting. But I think when I went to, Well, I started like seeing the world more holistically in my early teenage years, but it was later when I started studying permaculture that there was a big shift in starting to think and observe things in a pattern perspective and not worrying so much about details, thinking about the patterns. And it's something I I still repeat to the day. It's like I'm always interested in the pattern, whether it's human communication It's like, I don't care if you did that, but I'm interested in the pattern behind why that went on because that informs me about everything to do with psychology or circumstance or, yeah, it's hard to put into words. But that really got fostered through certainly my connection with this field and systems thinkers, certainly the one met a guy at university, places like that. And... I got quite into systems thinking for some years, like geeking out on that. And it made a lot of sense to me. But I think that I definitely had quite a lot of my later education was really supporting me to think right outside the box and rewarding me to do that, which is not how most people go through school or university. In fact, that's definitely not how you go through university. So I think my creative capacity got opened up. I think it got dampened down in the middle of my school experience through perfectionism and wanting to impress. And, you know, I was meant to go to Cambridge and live a life like that. And I was kind of the black sheep in my family. And I decided very young, I don't want to do that. Like, I'm not interested in that sort of life. And so things didn't work out in the middle there, but later on in my life, I was actively encouraged to think outside the box. And and that was celebrated and valued in a way that I hadn't come across before. And so I kind of could unleash my mind in that way because that's how it was naturally thinking anyway. And what I found particularly like structurally helpful in Guy University was like, here we are, I was doing a master's in eco-social design and communication, and we were using certain common languages within the university. And one of those was Integral Theory by Ken Wilber, the American philosopher, and overlaying that with Spiral Dynamics, the work of Don Beck and Claire Graves. And we actually had to design our degree in a way that showed we were designing our learning holistically. Now, 
someone would need to really go and there's a great book called A Theory of Everything by Ken Wilber. It's a black and red small paperback book. You can read it in two or three days. Mm. And that's an overview of integral theory and spiral dynamics and how they fit together. Integral theory was like Ken Wilber's thesis on like, well, what leads to a satisfying life? You know, why are there millionaires who have everything you could ever dream of who are depressed and suicidal? Why are there highest thinkers in their fields who are so intellectually ahead of the world and yet they can't even communicate to someone next to them? Or like, so he was looking at like, what's the simplest, simplest way to reduce life down? And he said, well, there are four quadrants and it's called quadrant theory or it's called many different things, but you have either internal or external circumstances or experiences. And they're either happening to you individually or you in a part of a collective. And he said, this is as simple as you can make our experience. It's one of these four quadrants, like internal collective, internal individual, da, da, da. And so we had to show our learning was developing equally in all these parts because the, the sort of thesis behind it was that unless we're acting with our full intelligence, then we're not going to be able to break down our conditioned patriarchal tendencies and we're not going to be able to see solutions that work in the most expansive holistic way is a way you could say it. <laughs> Spiral dynamics is a very interesting thing that was uh, done back in Claire Graves. They were asking the same questions to people throughout their life and so they would get these, the answers to the same questions at people's different phases in life. And they collected a warehouse of data and gave it to statisticians to see if they could find correlations. And they did. They found extremely powerful uh, pattern language in the development of a human through their life. And it's an outward expansive spiral in their description with different value memes. And that resonated with me fully because that's the pattern of regeneration. Like life is going exponentially this way in an outward expansive growth or the opposite way in a deconstructive death spiral, you could say. Now you can relate that to the physical world, how a tree grows in an outward expansive spiral or how a phloem in the tubes inside the branch of a tree cork themselves up to make the leaf fall off. You know, it's how a sea eagle hunts fish, a decreasing downward death spiral. You know, everything follows these basic patterns. Think of a universe expanding, an outward expansive life-giving thing. So there's lots of ways you can relate this to the actual physical world around you, but that same thing's happening psychologically. So the pattern language that you as an individual go through is the same as your nation state goes through too. So you have these different color memes. And what you see is that each level of thinking so uh, uh, it's called a value meme in spiral dynamics, and a meme would be, we drive on the left side of the road. A value meme would, we all drive on the left side of the road because everyone else does, and that makes it safe. Right? So there are these different colors assigned to each meme, and the whole point is that you transcend and include each level of thinking as you develop. So you start as a baby, and you're always developing, and you know you have this in different psychological texts, but... If you've ever had an experience like a Kairos moment where you suddenly see the world in a totally new way and you realize you'll never go back to seeing it in the old way again, that would be one of these value meme progressions where you've changed your way of thinking. And what's interesting about those 
values is they switch back from individual to collective to individual to collective all the way along, which is just like that pattern of breathing in and out. It's the same pattern of starting in the nucleus of an atom in my hand and then flying out to the furthest reach of the universe. You have that same expansive nothingness, intense activities, expansive nothingness. These are patterns that mirror themselves over and over again in all shapes and forms and contexts. And I found that particularly interesting because the outcome of, of spiral dynamics, and people can find like short courses online about this, it's used in business, it's used in sociology, different things. But what it taught me was that every level of thinking is totally important and fundamental. And what I was finding in the green movement, the alternative movement, is it's actually the last stage in development in what they call the first tier of development. And in the first tier of development, nobody understands that they're in a hierarchy. And it's a constructive, healthy hierarchy. So the green movement happens to be in the green mean just by happenstance. And it's the most open, sensitive, caring people you find in that group, but it's also the most highly dogmatic. And that's where the green movement gets stuck. It doesn't know it's in the hierarchy, so it looks at other ways of doing things. It's like, why can't everyone do like us and recycle? You know, if everyone just went vegan, everything will be okay. And You know, it's like this dogmatism that comes with the alternative world. And then there's another spiral of development above that that suddenly all these later stages of development are where people understand they're in a hierarchy and can communicate up and down the levels of thinking. Now, this is not levels of thinking like this one is better than this one. It's that they're all different and progressive and they, trans they transcend and include each other, but they have very different purposes and they have healthy and unhealthy expressions. An example would be like, well, we mentioned the green movement. So really consensus driven, you know, egalitarian, that would be healthy expressions of it. You know, people are um, not resources anymore, like they would be in an orange meme, which is capitalism, survival of the, or survival of the fittest and like the driving of innovation, which is where the world currently sits. But you have these healthy expressions, but then you have these unhealthy expressions, which would be extreme dogmatism, you know, or inability to act. Can't paint the garage door because we have 50 people who have to decide together what color it should be, or, you know, this kind of problems. But then you have, like, say, blue is order-driven. That's where all fundamentalism belongs. That's where fundamentalist religions belong. But it's also where armies and police forces belong, or firefighting crew. And, and it really helped me. I mean, this is a big topic that we talk for hours on if I do presentations about it. But the important takeaway is that there are very specific times and places for each of these levels of thinking. For example, if the barn catches fire, I don't want a green meme alternative kind of approach <laughs> to dealing with that. Right, let's sit down, have a meeting, and let's think about this. Should we? No, I've got an idea. We should get buckets. We should all take a bucket. No, no, we should get the hose. It'll be better. That's not what you want. You want a blue meme ordered hierarchy who like a professional firefighting force who are in their clothes out the door in 30 seconds and they're on the case that's who you want in a military force etc so it really gave me a clear understanding suddenly that every type of thinking is 
important and to be supported exactly where it's at because those life-changing moments where you suddenly have aha moments and you transcend and include everything in your previous experience and now have a wider vantage point a you don't forget all the things you know before you know you just are opened up to a new way of seeing things but b you can only really support someone to transition if you fully support them exactly where they're at which is why green dogmatism doesn't work oh why don't you just do like us and that doesn't work it never worked but it's fully meeting people and seeing them where they're at is what can support them to shift to the next level of thinking as it were now maybe that was all a little bit uh, much to follow but i really recommend people go to that book of Theory of Everything by Ken Will, because that really summarizes it in a very clear, succinct way. But at the time, that was nearly a decade ago that I came across that, it was very powerful and transformational for me. And it really helped me place myself in the work I was doing, because I've always had quite varied friendships. And I spend time with millionaire industry owners, with hippies, with you know, young people with no money getting into farming, with families, parents, you know, I spend time in very, very different circles and can navigate quite easily among them. And I noticed this early in my career where certain elements of the the permaculture world were consulting to farmers, but they couldn't speak the language of the farmer. So they had, you know, they just got thrown back in their face all the time and they couldn't understand why they weren't being successful. And I could just see so clearly that they just spoke utterly the wrong language. And so something I've always looked at is how to interface between different worlds to speak their language and support people where they're at. And that's a strategy for for a lot more leverage and success in the psychological side of things, I think. It's maybe a long uh, way round talking about what you brought no, up. Oh, uh, no, Richard, I really appreciate the, the, the discussion. I, I just wanted to clarify something a bit with you um, because uh, uh, something I feel is lacking a bit in that, like you said, there's kind of like a, seems like a blockage a bit in that, that green level of going through to the next spiral. And uh, I just wanted to clarify something with you because it seems like over there, a lot of the time, you know, let's say for the example, you said a permaculture guy wants to talk with a farmer and give him advice. So maybe even let's say he's a little bit open. He says, okay, I need to talk that language. But a lot of the time that I want to talk that language is just a means to an end. Whereas it sounded like what you were saying is intrinsically those different ways of thinking, which are different people, family, uh, someone that's more focused on order, the policeman or whatever, that they have intrinsic value. And, and so because you say they have intrinsic value, I just maybe I'm wrong, because they have intrinsic value, you can naturally meet them everyone on their level not because you know you need to meet them on their level to get what you know your agenda across but because you see that they all have value all those different is a ways of thinking yes but it, yeah it's more it's more complex than that too it's yes that's true but it's that that person can only be met on that level where they're at but it's not that this person's here this person's here it's not that yeah. kind of hierarchy it's a yeah. constructive hierarchy. So you have top-down oppressive hierarchies, and most people that don't like the idea of hierarchy react immediately to that. We don't yeah. like those type of hierarchies. But bottom-up constructive hierarchies that atoms make cells, make tissues, make here we are, they're useful hierarchies and fundamental to all of us. So 
it's that kind of hierarchy. And it's not that you are in this place and he's in that place, so you're better than him. It's, that's not at all what it means. It's that we, we all have the potential to express the healthy and unhealthy expressions of every level of thinking, mm-hmm. and we might flip between that moment to moment, right? So you might have a meeting today with your business associates, and you might approach that in a green, mean way where you need consensus because we are all chipping in your own money. So you've decided that the consensus approach is best because everyone needs to feel fully included. Then you might have a phone call and your cows escaped and are running over the neighbor's property and damaging it. So then you would want to snap into a blue meme way of thinking, get highly ordered, right, you grab the fence, I'm going to phone the neighbor, you go up there, we'll meet there in two minutes, let's do like this, that's what you need, right? So we're all capable of moving between them in different ways, but we're usually not fluid with our understanding of that. Mm-hmm. And a, a good example would be to bring up, I think it's Findhorn, the eco-village in Scotland. They actually invited these guys to come, and they, they, the premise of the story is something like they, they wanted to jump from the green meme to the next tier of thinking, oh. kind of in this way of thinking that, thinking about it incorrectly. But anyway, they sat and watched their meetings and they were like, don't worry about jumping into this second tier. You're mostly operating out of blue and red memes. And so here's what we'd recommend you do to facilitate your meetings better and whatever. Like, so they were thinking, it, like it, it, it speaks to me of like spiritual bypassing, of thinking you're further developed than you actually are. And I experienced this, we talked a bit before, like I spent a lot of time meditating and I spent a lot of time in the alternative spiritual realms, you know, meeting people who are doing yoga practices, all these different practices. And, and I often felt disturbed at a lot of people in that community feeling like they've transcended something they haven't even addressed. Mm. Oh, we're like this, we don't get angry. It's like, uh, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> something like, yeah, it's not real and it's certainly not empowered. And, and so I had a lot of interesting, something I, something I could definitely relate with Richard, because, uh, you know, in, in my, in our kind of like my own spiritual path or whatever, I mean, it's, it's uh, Judaism. I mean, you're, there's a lot of kids involved <laughs> and when there's kids involved and a family and everything, I mean, you know, you very, you very quickly come to the point, okay, whatever you thought, however spiritually advanced you thought you were, let's see how you deal with it now when the kid's yeah. screaming or when the wife isn't happy or whatever it is. Yeah. You know, yeah. And it was often removed from real life. It's like when I sit over here like this, I'm fine. But when like, you know, when like the times back. that really test that in your experience are when you break your leg or, when you're on the toilet or when you're late for work, like everyday experiences, it's like how to feel well and empowered in all those experiences because that's what it's about. It's not about being okay in this situation over there somewhere. That's not useful or powerful for anyone. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is just simply taking responsibility for your thoughts, actions, words, etc. Yeah, I just think it's it's interesting. But that's the danger of that spiral dynamics piece is people interpret it as, as a 
the wrong type of hierarchy and they want to use that in some manipulative way and that's not at all what it's about and it i found it very useful because it mirrors the it mirrors the pattern of succession that i see in ecology this is just the pattern of succession in humans or societies at large it's an efficacy it, hierarchy isn't it richard is that right yeah and it's also the the beauty of it in relationship to how the world changes, or sorry, how society changes as a whole, mm. is that you can really see that it takes very small group of people to create the conditions to shift the wider cultural view. Mm -hmm. Like massive changes in societies have only come from tiny amount of actors. Mm -hmm. and, and that's quite interesting to think about because it's, it really isn't, we need everyone to do this. We need everyone to be a small-scale farmer or have a... No, we don't. We need everyone in power doing whatever they're doing. We need empowered bankers, nurses, everything. Mm -hmm. So amazing, that's... Amazing. On, on, on that note, um, Richard, it's really it's coming close to your first decade on Ridgedale Farm and coming back to this idea exactly on the, you know, on the topic we are, um, I, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that must have been like the first big project that put all this, you know, systems thinking everything really to the test in a physical manifestation. Because every enterprise on your farm is very robust, and you can see that for many of your students, model just one or two of these and run with it, and it's a whole thing on itself. And um, uh, th but this level of, of interconnected enterprise is obviously a very big thing. And you said in your book, your perspectives, uh, your perspective of holes became a living ex experience. I mean, you, your perspective. Um, how have you felt? You, have you felt yourself or your understanding develop over time? Being immersed now, you know, it's now out of the theory, and it's really viscerally, physically, you know, in your day to day. Uh, maybe you wouldn't feel it, you know, only when you go deep sea fishing or whatever it is. But have you felt your own thinking shift, being immersed in that in that world for so long now? You know, of the, having to use this uh, this uh, uh, way of thinking physically every day. I don't know how to approach that. Um, I think my I, I found the experience here incredibly immersive to the point where I wanted to take a break from it. It's like <laughs> I haven't thought or talked about yeah. anything for a very long time other than that. But actually, I have quite a lot of interest. I'm very interested in psychology also. I'm very interested in sailing. I'm very interested in gathering wild things, fishing, this kind of thing. I'm interested in diving. And, and so I haven't had time for any of those expressions of things. So my thinking is... I, I'm very interested in the speed of thought. and that's quite important for me. And certainly the process of running this place and running all the intense human interactions has required massive thought processes. It's, you know, that's, for me, that's been more exhausting than the physical work. Like mm -hmm. physical work is not hard to do. It's, mm -hmm. But the brain computing power to manage the complexity of particularly people, is challenging. So I feel like I haven't noticed my thinking process change. What's happened is more recently I've allowed myself to not be so consumed by that and to uh, turn my attention to other things, family, 
rest, you know, allowing myself to say, no, I'm going off for the weekend and I'm going fishing and I'm not thinking about chickens, so don't call me. <laughs> you know, just allowing, relaxing my, um, what would you say? Just relaxing into trusting others to pick up bits and not be so reliant or, you know, because I think the weak point of the business that I've created here is that it's very much been focused around me mm. and that's all great. But if I get burnt out or sick in some way, then it doesn't function the same. So I've really been reflecting on that as I get a bit older and part of this year with going on this tour was to put Johanna more in the forefront to take that spotlight off me a bit, you know? So, so then automatically the people coming here for the team this year knew that I wouldn't be here. Although it's obviously turned out that I am here, which I think they're happy about, but, but they were coming knowing that I wasn't here, which is a very different thing to someone coming you know, with the sort of mentality of like wanting to meet this person. And it, like, I really clear that people aren't allowed to put me in that light. Mm. And I disarm it when they come here. It's like, because I just think it's bullshit. You know, I'm not into that. Mm. It's like, yeah, I have expertise in here, like this thing, this thing, this thing. And I can tell you about it. It's like, don't put me into some like, icon or cartoon character of theirs like it's not beneficial to anyone so i think the quality of the team that showed up this year is um different on the psychological level because of that mm. so they're I, I certainly not doing any nanny in any way it seems that of course and, the team is focused more on the business itself that's what it seems like is that is that correct richard i mean that they're focused on the team to to foster the the business itself the enterprise the farm Yes, they're only focused on that and they're, they're given instruction and then left to totally manage it. It's like I'm not really even present for most of the day at the moment. And then bigger jobs that we do together or things that need my attention, I turn up and will do. But it means that like people are... I'm encouraging people to like do their own problem solving and describe how they're going to go about it rather than just allowing them to ask me a question, mm. you know, which is, is often what happens in day-to-day -day life because we're busy and running around, but I'm trying to get them to think more and act less rather than just do, do, do. And yeah, I don't know. It's maybe not a, a totally clear way of expressing it, but I've made myself less available and it's working to the, benefit of the whole it feels less stressful here than it's been other years and that's partly because we don't have the additional burden of interns you know which really adds up to a huge energy input and it can be socially exhausting too so it's it's definitely a it can be a lot to live in close quarters with people i think and I'm certainly enjoying taking more space from that, but but no, it's good. And I think that it's proving to us that we can change, because a big part of this whole thing was like the, our context from a family perspective was always weak in the element of time. 
And every year we made little changes, but it never really afforded any more time, you know? And so this year was a big shift of like, right, let's totally rearrange the way we do this to create time, where it's like, essentially, we were creating the conditions that I could leave the farm all summer. Now, I'm not going to do that in any other year, but it opens up the possibility of like, right, we should have a week off as a family and the team can support that and we can support them to have time off. And, oh, what about we have every weekend off? And, you know, like things that uh, should have been in place many years ago but haven't been able to have been because we've had to manage so many or we've chosen to manage so many people and additional processes that are primarily there for their benefit from a learning perspective. We don't need them as part of our economy or, you know, and and so we start to shave some of those things off now because we don't need to offer them if we're not running those programs. So everything's a little more easeful. It must must feel like a very healthy shift really for, I mean, for, you know, psychologically, physically for you, for your family. Yeah, it's been a big shift and it's also, it's been that thing about giving ourselves permission or certainly for me, like I've been quite, I've just been pushing and pushing because this place is so much more than a farm, obviously. It's also quite an important educational hub and and it's producing a huge amount of resources too. So I felt like duty bound to just keep pushing, keep pushing and I think that's relaxed more in the last year where, you know, I've allowed myself to just see that I don't need to push anything. It's like I've done, I've probably already done my bit and I don't have to keep pushing in that way at all and still bring a lot of benefits. So. Mm-hmm. Last, last kind of a serious question. Um, uh, I've noticed a lot in the... Um, <clears throat> In the regenerative uh, farming, you know, space, this space is especially, um, that the ability for people to have good instincts and uh, you know, explain what I mean. I mean, like, uh, uh, it's it's very, it's quite high. And I had someone there. Uh, I had a, I'll just explain a bit of background. I had a special mentor in Chinese medicine. He's a very deep uh, scholar, and he taught me something very, very profound. He taught me about the importance of being able to analyze and assess with more than just logic. And, uh, you know, uh, we kind of, I call it between me and my wife, we call it like thinking with the heart. And he broke down almost like this, uh, he broke it down almost like there's a neglective instinct for truth. Uh, today, I, seem, it's, I see it's very much lacking a lot of the time where um, there's only one way to analyze information with the mind. And I found it's like a, um, very profound this time exactly. Um, that we seem to have lost this, a lot of people seem to have lost this ability to, to um, utilize this innate instincts to a way to assess things without just straight logic. And I see sometimes the side effect of this, funny enough, if you don't focus on thinking with the heart, so to speak, that's what I call it, that the heart just kind of gets a bit lazy and you're, people emotionally react very, very easily. And I think uh, you're in a very unique position to, to look at this because I think in this field, just by you know, side effect, it seems to a very, um, it kind of seems to lead people towards this area of like thinking also instinctually, biosensitivity and all these kind of uh, um, ideas, dealing with complexity, entrepreneurship. And um, uh, I'm just curious uh, about um, what's your what's your take on, because I feel it's quite an important issue these days. I'm just curious, what's your take on, on your kind of work and this space, what it can offer in that, in that kind of area of, of getting people back to trusting themselves, so to speak, trusting that their, that their instinct is also a relative, uh, an important part of, of the way they analyze the world and their work and not just, you know, 
not just the mind, not just what, what they, what I can analyze and break apart. <clears throat> well, that's a difficult one, I think, because it starts to potentially cross over to quite undefined things where people, you know, someone say, oh, I have a gut feeling about this would be a classic example. And it's like, well, what is a gut feeling? It's a very you know? And maybe there's that same thing you're talking about, but maybe it's not. And I think words become really important mm-hmm. and how we use words very specifically. Mm-hmm. So I think like I've certainly learned a lot about what you're talking about through management of people and learning to flex and drop things or take things on through that instinctive feeling with I guess it's connected to like dissolving ego you could say you know like I'm here as a leader but I'm also entirely flexible and ready to drop things when I see something true is different to my own opinion Mm-hmm. But but that's kind of connected to an ego thing of like you know. But I guess like if I can see that process is alive for someone else, then I trust it fully. And if I feel like if my perception is that someone thinks they see that, but I know from my experience, then they don't have the experience to know that for sure, then I will also make decisions over that and explain why. And that maybe is useful. I'm sure it's useful in some ways. It's very hard to to address that point because it's yeah. got a lot of different uh, threads to it. Yeah. But sometimes, like for example, one guy we had here as a team member, I observed him essentially educating people that were here on the short-term training. But everything he was telling them and demonstrating them was done with a supreme confidence and clarity, but completely different to how I'd instructed. Mm -hmm. So this is where it's difficult because it's like someone coming into contact with that person would assume that they know what they're talking about through the manner they deliver. Yeah. But I was not happy about it at all and so I have to always have a kind of gauge on people to know where I think they're at and I certainly trust my instincts very well but I don't always trust others instincts and I don't know if that's a clearly defined thing to like I'm crystally clear when I trust someone's instincts and that's intuitive it's like I can see them and I know mm. fully that I my, my, mind, my mind thing over here was just that there is a way to to train that um that uh, that intuition there is a way to uh, rather than it's just some kind of uh, animalistic thing that sometimes I can use that there is actually a way to kind of access that and, and I don't know I I think you're you know you're touching on I mean right that's here. the sort of capacities that people open up in different ways, through psychedelics, through meditation, through, you know, stilling the mind enough that it can open some of those, you know, 
doorways that, you, well, they're innate capacities that we cover up with all layers of conditioning, right? So I think they can be accessed in different ways. But I totally agree they're innately present in all of us and they get honed out through school and all these sorts of things. So, um, But yeah, I don't know if I have any more to say about that. I think it's it's hard to... I don't think I could train anyone to, to do that. I could just reassure them when I'm confident of, of their perception, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and and speak up when I feel cautious about it. And I, I don't know if that can be trained. I don't know if that speaks to what you were saying. No, it's fine. Uh, Richard, best and worst day of your life? Say again? Best and worst day of your life? Oof. I don't know. I've had a lot of glorious days, really. Mm. Um, I, I don't think I can pick one day. I've had, you know, I've got a beautiful life here, beautiful food, beautiful kids. I'm blessed with health and a clear mind, and I can't pick a best day. I think I've had That's a good. best life, you know. <laughs> the worst days I've ever forgotten. Uh, well, I had some pretty hard times in my teenage years, mm-hmm. leaving home and going through a lot of uh, pretty dark experiences and and uh, damaging times there. They were pretty dark times, but very informative too. So I tend to see the I tend to see opportunities and positive outcomes in challenges that I don't. I don't know. I can't answer a question like that. I've had some shitty days, and you know, for sure. But I can't pick out one that sums it up. Yeah. You know, I think everyone's life has these tragic occurrences that are all relative. You know, losing loved friends or, you know, losing relationships. Those are the harder experiences that we can all relate to. But, but ultimately, I don't have a best or worst day. <laughs> <laughs> hey Richard, uh, if you've got if uh, if anyone um, is listening now and wants to is um, is uh, is moved by anything you've said or that wants to get into um, into uh, what we talked about, what's what's some uh, message that you could share with people that are listening? Maybe necessarily the people that haven't don't have any experience so much in farming or they want to get more involved in in a connection, a deeper connection. What's something you, you a message you want to share with them? Uh, well. I don't know. I would recommend if, if any of that uh, stuff about the psychological thing is interesting to read that book. Is it, I found very powerful at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I don't really have a clear message just to do good, whatever you do, and take responsibility for your stuff and support each other where, where everyone needs support. And yeah, I don't really have a... A message. I hope that more people will tap into the specific work we're doing with the hero experience and things. That's really, you know, what's alive for me right now. But yeah, I think it's. Uh, I really, really appreciate the work you're doing now, Richard. And I think the um, farm for a hero, like I said in the beginning, I just double down on that. It's a, for me personally, it's very, very exciting to see this kind of um, level of uh, 
of community and complexity in in learning and platforms and many different areas like come come together it's very uh, it's a very exciting time for you personally and i i find it very exciting myself as well so just want to acknowledge you for that work and i'm sure we we'll have much more uh, um interaction with the in the you know in the in the lead up to that also just wanted to ask you um confirm with you 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 are still online for a, a Joel Salatin a, a collaboration with Joel Salatin on the farm is that right is that still online yes yeah it's set for August it's on the website the richdalepermaculture.com website and I spoke to Joel last week and that's like we don't know if anything will change with the COVID situation but it's on as far as we know and there's it's mostly booked out so i think there's maybe two spots so uh, but that seems to be on and yeah that's a really exciting event for us to have joel here yeah 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 yeah, definitely but if you're lucky to be there definitely that would be fantastic so um uh, yeah it's a really really good uh, i really appreciate the talk about systems thinking that's something that really blew my mind just when you first uh, talked about it and you know it's been blown again definitely I'll, i'm i'm one of the the people listening that will definitely follow up on the on the books that you've said there to read really appreciate uh, sharing that message because uh, sometimes that seems a bit of a thing that um could be that certainly was for me a bit elusive and a bit uh, um difficult to grasp to get a to get a handle mm. on so i appreciate that uh, that discussion and um, uh, obviously, everyone can catch you on the on on all your um all your various uh, several platforms that are happening right now. Um, courses they'll be coming up soon on the um you know as a side thing from the farm like a hero. They're coming up in in this coming year. Is that right? You could say that. Yeah, so I would hope so. Like, there's going to be start the right farm, and then a sort of signature full online training that will happen in the winter on the current plan. There's a website specifically for them, but they can all be found through richardperkins.co is our main site. So there's links there to our book, the Hero Experience trainings, etc. cetera. So. Mm-hmm. And on YouTube, yes. that's a good place to see a bit what we do. So Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, you can check out all the – also, you can anyone that's listening, you can check out all, like, a beginning of all the, uh, many of the interviews that are happening um, on Farm Like a Hero, so you really get a taste for what's going on behind the scenes there with the with that platform. I definitely in, in, uh, recommend people engage that. And, um, uh, yeah, all the links uh, – I'll put all the links in the show notes. And, uh, yeah, if I think if you're in this space and, and you haven't hooked into what um, – what you're doing, Richard, I mean, where are you? So, I mean, you know, you've got so many different tools there, the book, the courses, the Farm Like a Hero, you've got many, many different aspects to interact and and, um, and get on board with the, with what you're doing. It's a very, very eclectic and very comprehensive approach. I think it's it's very unique and um, thanks a lot for, for what you're doing there. It's great. So I'm, I'm excited. Mm. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, there's a lot there and that's, I hope people can continue to make use of that and continue spreading the amazing work that people are doing that are using that information effectively so mm-hmm. fantastic okay great so um uh, for us uh, you'll find us on all the usual channels we've got the youtube um uh, channel up right now but because um you know we're a team of one sometimes two now so we're working on the subtitles in hebrew it's um it's a it's a bit of a it's a bit expensive actually as it goes right now but we're getting there so, um, yeah, you can check us out on the usual channels, including YouTube. And um, this will be up live and, and very soon will be up on the on, on our channels. So I hope everyone catches it then and we'll catch you around the way for the next one.